0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth; they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For the for through though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly; but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other or be be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: Let's pray. Our gracious God, we give you thanks for this day, for your son Jesus, for your spirit who enlivens us and envelops us and gives us good reason to give you thanks and praise. So we thank you for this psalm and we pray that you would be with us and bless us this morning as we reflect on it. Would you lead us into the deeper waters of knowing you, of loving you, and loving our neighbor? We ask through Christ our Lord, amen. So what does it look like for the church to be the church in this time of pandemic, when we cannot gather or practice life together in the ways that we've relied on for really as long as we've known? That's not a new question for us. That's one we've been sitting with and wrestling with for months now. And uh, the staff teams of both of our congregations of City Church and Liberty Center City have been engaging that question collaboratively and creatively in recent weeks as we plan and prepare for the fall. And really back in March, if if you can remember, it feels like a million years ago and sort of yesterday all at the same time, but back in March, we pivoted really quickly Right. There was this new pandemic. We didn't know what was coming, didn't know what to expect. We reacted, and so we pivoted quickly like everyone did to shift what we normally do from an in-person format to a virtual or live stream format, Right. just some approximation of what we're used to, shift it into this new mode of delivery. We did what we could do with the time that we had to do it in. And now it's August now, and it's been months since then, and we've settled into what feels like this new normal more. Uh, We've already been in this new normal for longer than we ever expected to be, um, or at least longer than I expected to be, and there's no real end in sight, right? We could be living in COVID reality for a good long while, as we already have been, and so we're revisiting again this question. What does it look like for the church to be the church in this age of pandemic when we can't do the things that we are used to doing and have relied on. Although now we're asking that question in less of a reactive way in the surprise of a new thing, like we were doing back in March. And now in a more proactive way, as we're really looking ahead uh, to the fall, and to time beyond the fall, the winter and spring as well. And instead of focusing on this goal of surviving a temporary, strange, and difficult season, we want to shift our energies toward how do we embrace and engage this moment as a unique opportunity for us to become more fully the church that God is calling us to be, the kind of people that God wants us to be, is calling us to be, invites us to be, the kind of people we long to be, and the kind of church, really, that our neighbors need us to be. The pandemic, undoubtedly, it's brought significant loss and pain, fatigue, fear, and stress to all of us, to so many, and that hits us in in our own unique ways. Those losses are real, and we need to make space to grieve them. Yet at the same time, this disruption caused by the pandemic has brought unexpected gifts, hasn't it? Unexpected gifts that we would not have otherwise received. I mean, having nowhere else to go, many of us discovered amazing parks that this city has. I know I have for sure. And we've even stumbled upon some hidden gems pretty close to home. Uh, In being alone at home, some of us have reconnected with old friends over the phone and being able to work from home. Some of you have been able to relocate to a special place and take advantage of a flexibility that you didn't have before. Uh, if you, like Bonnie and me, have found yourself in the situation of having to uh, manage or oversee children's education at home, you know perhaps you've discovered a gratitude and respect for teachers that may have been undeveloped or underdeveloped previously. The losses of the season are many, and that does necessitate our making space for grief but the gifts of this season are many as well. And that necessitates our making space for gratitude. And for the church collectively, I think one of the gifts that comes with this COVID season is this opportunity really to wrestle deeply with what sort of people and what sort of church God is calling us to become. In ordinary times, the status quo is so strong that we typically don't do that kind of like reflective or creative work. And for many of us, I think our sense of what it means to follow Jesus or to be a Christian or to belong to a church has been so attached to attending religious services or gatherings that we may have dozed off a little bit spiritually, And we may have settled into a way of being Christian that really misses a lot of the good stuff, especially with respect to what it means to follow Jesus in a life of discipleship and to join Jesus in his mission of blessing the world. And I think the gift that the pandemic gives us is this opportunity to begin to discover a little bit more what Christian discipleship and mission look like apart from simply attending religious services and events. It's the opportunity to ask afresh without having to deal with this immovable object of our comfortable status quo, what kind of people do we long to be? What kind of church do our neighbors need us to become, especially those God has given us to love and bless who aren't that interested in attending religious services, right? And therefore need something from us that's more robust and helpful than an invitation to come to a thing that's happening at our church. And the reason I bring all this up right now is that we're considering Psalm 138 this morning, which is the psalm of thanksgiving that leads us into a prayerful practice of gratitude. And I want to situate our reflection on the psalm inside of our present context of struggling to receive the gift of the moment that we're in. That's my struggle, and I assume it's your struggle in some way, the struggle to receive the gift of the moment we're in, our struggle to embrace and engage however many more months we will have of COVID world in which we live. And I think practicing gratitude as this psalm leads us in, is going to be so key for us this fall if we want to inhabit this time and space in ways that are healthy for us and helpful for our neighbors. I was just reading uh, an article this week. I think it's kind of old, but, uh, just online uh, from UC Berkeley called How Gratitude Changes You and Your Brain. Just talking about some of the neuroscience of, of gratitude and some studies that they did on groups where they had people do these exercises, right? And what they, what they were observing is that actually a habitual practice of giving thanks rewires your brain. You know, our brains are so, are, are, we we survive, that's what we do, right? We survive and our brains teach us and help us to survive. And so these neural pathways that form in our brain are far more ready to store the things that hurt so that we remember them and learn how to avoid the things that hurt or that might kill us, right? And so our brains are hardwired to store the trauma, to store all the stuff that might threaten us. And as a result, some of that space that would be taken up with the happy stuff gets gets set aside for the sadder, the harder, the scarier realities, but actually what they've What they're discovering more and more is that our brains can be rewired. And gratitude is one of those practices that when you engage it, actually begins to change the structure of your own brain to where you actually experience all the other stuff in your life differently because you have these neural pathways that allow you to do that. A practice of gratitude, it's not just a spiritual thing. There's very much a physiological element to it as well. And this psalm, I think, that that leads us into this kind of practice of gratitude is a gift that helps us receive today as a gift. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart, sings the psalmist, as he praises the Lord for answering his cry and delivering him from trouble. But what's so interesting and helpful for me is that verses seven and eight make it clear that the trouble and the danger are still very much present, even in the moment of the psalmist's gratitude. The occasion that prompts the psalmist to give thanks to God and rejoice isn't that the hard stuff is all over. It isn't that life can go back to normal now. Rather, it's that God has not left the psalmist alone in the midst of trouble, but God has heard his cry. And so the psalmist declares that the Lord has been faithful and steadfast. He declares that God's good purpose endures despite all the things that seem to work to oppose the work of the Lord's hands. The psalmist expresses gratitude for God's character, for God's love and faithfulness and honor, and even for God's care for the lowly. And Jeffrey Grogan, a commentator on this psalm, notes the contrast between verses four and six, between the kings of the earth and this king of heaven. And Grogan says, the highest king of all has the greatest concern for the apparently insignificant. And I think what we see as, as we, pray this psalm and take it to our own lips and pray it even as we think about praying it in union and communion with Jesus. Prayerfully practicing gratitude for the character of God actually shapes our own aspirations of what kind of people we long to be, doesn't it? Praying prayers of thanksgiving to God for who God is, for whom God is, And naming those attributes, the goodness, the faithfulness, the love, the mercy, the care for the lowly, praising God for these things and giving thanks for these things actually shapes our own desire and longing to become like that. And so even as we begin to think about what does discipleship look like, a habitual prayerful practice of gratitude around the attributes and character of God actually inspires us to wanna take up a life of following Jesus in becoming human in a way that reflects more deeply, beautifully, and compellingly this beautiful character of God. The Psalmist also expresses gratitude and joy for what he anticipates will come of his own experience of God's deliverance when others hear about it. So the Psalm is attributed to David, the king, Although most scholars will date this Psalm much, much later, centuries after David, when people of Israel were released from their exile and allowed to return home. And this was a time in Israel's history when the people, their hope was being renewed after a really, really dark time. And they looked back on the reign of King David and God's blessing of the people of Israel and the king at that time, and their remembrance of God's promise to establish this everlasting kingdom, a dynasty through David, they did that as a way of shaping their own anticipation of the future, a looking back, as it were, to look forward in a hope that is tethered to the promise of God. And so their anticipation as they remembered, as they looked back, their anticipation was drawn toward a future of God's promise, this realization of God's promise to establish his kingdom of peace and justice in the earth. And the picture in this Psalm in those middle verses is really of all the kings of the earth and their nations joining in this chorus of praise and thanksgiving to Israel's God. And it's this vision that inspires hope And of course, as Christians, we read this Psalm in and through Jesus and um, this one, right? Jesus who descended from David according to the flesh and is declared to be the son of God according to the spirit. This Jesus who is the one who is that David to come that the Israelites were looking forward to, whose life and ministry was animated by the same spirit who delivered him from the grave and then came upon all the people as on us, people of all nations, to move the promise of God forward toward this glorious fullness that both the psalmist and we await in hope. It's really this beautiful prayer of gratitude that inspires us not only as disciples to become like God and to become humans who aspire to these kinds of virtues, these kinds of character traits that are beautiful and compelling and bring forth life into the earth, but also that inspire us into this mission, into this joining God in God's purpose of blessing the earth that is this mission of bringing forth life, making peace, extending welcome, sharing love, a mission expressed most succinctly by Jesus who said, really, it's about love God, love neighbor, and that God blesses God's people in such activity by bringing forth a future that is glorious and grand, that we await and bear witness to, and as much as we can practice together as God's people in the here and now. So, praying Psalm 138 in union and communion with Jesus, it draws us into God's mission of blessing that is to heal and touch all the earth and to bring forth wholeness and justice and peace. And it does so really by means of drawing us into this practice of prayerful gratitude that calls our attention to God's faithful presence and action in both the past and the present. And then also casts our gaze forward toward the promised future of a world set right in which life thrives forever. There's a, uh, an article uh, in the Washington Post that ran about five years ago that I also read this week because I was you know, Google searching gratitude and stuff like that. And it's what you do when you prepare a sermon. But there's an article about five years ago that asked the question, does belief in God enhance gratitude? and sort of picking up on, you know, uh, in just in general psychological field, gratitude is acknowledged as, as a good practice, a healthy practice, and an important one for psychological healing and wholeness. And this question was teasing out, well, what about belief in God? Does it actually enhance a practice of gratitude? And the author was arguing that it does, partly because it, enhance, it, it, it expands the scope of that for which we are to be grateful. Because if you think about the nature of gratitude, what is it? It's it's saying thank you or it's recognizing that someone has given you something. And so if you're in a relationship with a person and they give you a gift or they do something for you, you can recognize that as a gift, right? You can recognize that as something that someone has given you at some cost to them. But what about life itself or the world or just our own existence or like today as a day? Is that a gift from someone? Or is that just simply the way things are? And one of the things about the, the worldview that the scriptures call us into, uh, and the kind of life in relation to God and the world and one another, is that it's not an impersonal world, but a personal one created by a personal God. That today is a gift from a personal God who lives in relationship to us. That it's all personal, it's gift, and it warrants gratitude. G.K. Chesterton, a very famous writer and, um, and thinker uh, from about 100 years ago, talks about his own conversion to Christianity, his own coming to faith, as actually occasioned by an experience of gratitude that he couldn't explain. He was overcome with gratitude for his life and for all of this stuff, but recognized that he had no one to thank. And it was that occasion that dro- drove him to actually seek and find God. And he would go on to write beautifully about gratitude and his own experience of what it means now to live inside of a world that is personal and infused with life and gift. I think the Psalm 138, it draws us into a way of living into the world that's like that, to receive the day as a gift, to receive one another as a gift, and then to practice being a gift to recognize that I am given by God to you. And that actually means something for me. That actually tells me something about what I am to do in relation to you as one who's called to love and serve and bless you. And so as we think about this idea of what is it, what kind of church is God calling us to be? And what kind of people are we longing to be? Do we want to be? I I really hope that we'll sit with those questions this fall Uh, and that will wrestle deeply with what it looks like for us to begin to take up a life uh, of understanding our discipleship and understanding our participation in mission, not as primarily about attending church events, but as one of engaging this God who loves us, who has given himself to us as a gift and who gives us to one another as a gift, that we might take up this practice of gratitude and be so changed more and more into the likeness of this God whose character is beautiful and compelling and life-giving and who calls us to live like him in the world as his imitators, as his friends, as his children and servants, as those known and loved by God and as those sent and given by God to love our neighbor. We're about to come to the Lord's table in a few minutes and that word Eucharist that we often describe this communion meal with is a word that simply means thanksgiving. It's a gratitude word. And I'd, I'd like to just simply close this reflection by recognizing that what we're doing here in this psalm, as we pray these words and enter into this practice of gratitude, that that's very much in step with what we do as we come to the table to give thanks for the gifts God has given, most notably in his own son, the crucified and risen Je- in Jesus Christ given for you and for me and for the world as we receive the gift, to be remade into the gift, to be sent out from the table into the world as a gift. This is what we do as the people. And it's a little weird to be doing it all from our own homes and not to be gathered in this space and to be coming literally to the table. But we trust that God is big enough and generous enough and sufficient and loving enough to feed us directly by his spirit, right where you are, right where we are, that we may be nourished, remade, and sent as gifts into the world. May God's grace be so. May He may He do with us that which He has uh, ple- that which pleases Him. May He remake us in His image and send us out into the world as gifts. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.